Hi, I'm your host, Brittany Spence, and this is In the Face of Illness. We are a podcast committed to cultivating a greater understanding of the many resources available for families facing childhood illness, because we believe this is a vital topic of conversation, not only for families in the throes of the fight, but for everyone. Ultimately, we are here to offer hope in the face of illness. Jessica Lyle serves as the Director of Child Life for Labonner Children's Hospital. She has a Bachelor's of Music in Music Therapy from Tennessee Technological University and her Master's of Professional Studies in Strategic Leadership from the University of Memphis. She joined Labonner Children's Hospital in 2006 after completing a dual internship in Music Therapy and Child Life. Today we have Jessica Lyles with us, who serves as the Director of Child Life for Labonner Children's Hospital. We're so glad to have you here today. Thanks so much for having me here. All right, Jessica, tell us a little bit um, about your role as the Director of Child Life. So as the Director of Child Life, I oversee the team that works to serve our patients and families and make the hospital feel as normal as possible. We have quite a few roles that are part of that work. Um, We have our certified child life specialist, our activity coordinators, our music therapist, our school teacher, and our special events coordinator. Wow, my goodness. And explain a little bit more what actually is a child life specialist. Sure. So a child life specialist is especially trained in helping meet patients and families in stressful and potentially traumatic experiences i.e. healthcare is one of those, and working to do what we can to meet those families where they are and lessen those stressors. We know that being in healthcare can create traumatic experiences, Mm -hmm. and so we really want to work with our patients and families to help make sure that they understand what's happening around them, and the ultimate goal is that we're promoting coping. And what would be some examples? I know I've seen things in the past where, you know, people say, well, it's just playing with kids. You know, what a great job you have. You just get to play with kids. I know from my own experience and then being in the hospital as long as I have doing what I do, that it is way more than that and it entails way more than that. So give some examples of maybe ways that your child life specialists help children cope also siblings cope. I think that's a beautiful part of what y'all do. Obviously parents and in my situation, you know, there wasn't really a lot that the child life specialist necessarily could do for Forrest as a one, two, three week old, but the child life specialist really helped me. So what are some examples maybe of the coping and some things that they do to help, let's say normalize or even just make the hospital experience a little bit better for them? Sure. So for children, you mentioned the play piece, and there is so much of what we do that looks like play. And you're right, people do say, oh, that job looks so fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it is fun, and it's rewarding, but it, there's, there's so much to it. Mm-hmm. And so for some, it might be that during a procedure that could be potentially scary or uncomfortable, that one, we explain in language that they understand what is going to happen and we make sure that we talk through the steps that they will experience and we try to bring in their senses. So we try to talk about the things that they might hear, the things they might smell, the things they might see, because we we know that children experience their world with 
all of their senses. And so we try to make sure that we're preparing them for that. But then also talking through the way that we can make it a little easier. And um, one of the things that comes to mind is talking specifically about vaccines, because that's something now that um, younger children are approved for the COVID vaccine. That's been something that we've been working toward. Mm -hmm. And so with our children who are getting vaccinated, how can we make sure that they know what the steps are in the process for them to receive that vaccine? Mm -hmm. And then what are things we can do to help make it easier? And so maybe some of that is having them sit in their parents' lap. Mm -hmm. And that way they're feeling a hug from their caregiver while they're getting the injection versus having to sit in a chair by themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, For some kids, they really like to watch what's happening. And so if that's what they need, that is great. But there's a lot of kids that really benefit from not looking. Mm -hmm. And so then we can use distraction um, or alternative focus just to get their attention on something else because that can help promote coping. Mm -hmm. Um, Because we want to do the procedure, do it well, but also try to get it over and done with in a way that is Um, not creating more stress and anxiety for them. So that would be one example. Um, Sometimes we use play to help children understand their diagnosis. Um, If we were to just talk about what a new diagnosis is, it may not always make sense, but we can bring in creative ways to help explain what's happening with their body. Um, Most of my clinical experience was on our inpatient neuroscience unit. And so... Um, I worked with a lot of families where we would be talking about a brain tumor and what that is. And so using Play-Doh or using um, different creative things to help talk about their brain and what their brain does and what a brain tumor is and why, why the surgery is going to help them was something really important with helping them understand what was happening around them. And when I say children, it's important to note we want to make sure that we are talking to the patient but we also want to include siblings Mm -hmm. because they are a part of that process. We want to make sure that they know what's going on. And um, so those would be two examples of ways that we want to help make sure that children and their families understand what's happening. The other piece is we just want to make sure that kids get to play. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, if you, if you put a child in a space Um, even if it just has random things in that space, they will likely create a game or they will come up with an activity, play is what is normal for children. And so regardless of their age, we want to make sure that we're providing spaces that um, kids can play. And um, whether that's bringing things to them or um, if they're able to get out of their room, then encouraging them to get out of their room and go to spaces where they can just be kids mm-hmm. and um, we can promote their normal growth and development. Yeah. And I've seen through the years, your team do so many remarkable things, whether it's, you know, take a baby doll and, you know, create a trach. And so the child and the siblings or even the parents can best understand what a trach is and how a trach works or whether it's a putting in a, a G-tube or, you know, explaining things, reading books, offering books to families that they can read to the siblings, encouraging, especially in these times, FaceTime, you know, to FaceTime with families. Um, how do you encourage your staff and team 
you know, not every family, because as you're speaking, I'm thinking about my own three children at home. I have one that knowledge is power, and the more knowledge he can get, the better. I have one who 100% needs to be distracted. You can't tell in advance that they need something like a vaccine. And then I've got one that's kind of honestly in the middle. Wants some, but not all. And so how do you encourage your team to really figure out per child, per family, it is not a one-stop, this works for every family. So tell me ways that, that your child specialists figure that out. How do they get to know the family well enough to know what works best? Yeah. Um, so much of what we do is based off relationship and then based off us using these assessment skills that we've built over the years and um, just kind of learning what like we can observe when a child is becoming stressed and realize, okay, maybe this is not what they need. Maybe they need something different. Mm -hmm. For me, I think it is so crucial to involve their caregivers um, because you, you know exactly what your kids need and you Mm -hmm. just spoke to that so well. And so partnering with parents or whoever that child's primary caregiver is to learn more about that child and to learn what their needs are and sometimes we have caregivers who who don't really know what they need because they've never experienced things like that and so we might have to get creative with our questions or get creative with what we're observing so that we can tailor our interventions to meet each individual child and family where they are. Mm-hmm. And definitely based upon you know the different units specifically at Labonner Children's Hospital you know, as I was saying earlier, I can imagine that the child life specialist in the NICU probably spends a good amount of time with the parents, Mm -hmm. you know, loving on the parents, finding out what's their stressors, what's their, what keeps them calm, what, you know, encourages them, what causes them to feel like trauma has been done versus, you know, maybe some of your floors that have older children where, you know, I think of the CVICU that those teenagers can spend sometimes months and they're waiting on a new heart. I'm sure those child specialists spend more time, I would think, with the teenager, you know, finding out what it is that they love and what their things are and how they can meet their needs. And so each of your child specialists really has to feel out their own unit floor, right? And mm-hmm. spend time figuring out even on that floor, they might have a wide variety of ages. And so spending time figuring out what's the best fit for that specific family. Right. We like to say that each unit has its own personality. Mm-hmm. I um, totally. I totally. They, they all function a little differently, the nature of the patients that they see. Yeah. Um, they I would just almost all... love to hear y'all's like, <laughs> like, what do you actually, like, is there a name for it? Is there a thing? I mean, I, when you say that, I think right away, like, there's a lot right now about Enneagram and you almost are right. like, is there a number that goes with that oh. floor? Is there a, but right. just when you say that, I think that same exact thing, each floor kind of. At least know when I mentor, I kind of know when I'm walking into a unit or a floor, have a different feel. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's based upon staff. Sometimes it's based upon families. Sometimes it's based upon age. And then obviously sometimes it's based too. I always tell people when I'm training mentors, also look at the feel of the room. You mm-hmm. know, if the room is dark and the and the blinds are closed and the family's, family's blankets and stuff is still out. They haven't like made their bed for the day, then you can bet you're walking into a room that some hard things have happened. It has not been maybe the best day. And so 
don't go in all peppy and right. excited, acting yeah. like, oh, I'm here, here I am. Mm-hmm. You know, you need to you need to match the mood of the room. Now, if you go to a room and it's bright and the curtains are up and lights are on and, you know, the family's dressed and the bed is put away, you can assume that you can have more of a positive kind of, not I don't want to say positive, but more of an upbeat mood when you walk in. And so I imagine, too, with your staff, it has to be really weigh the room, measure it, look mm-hmm. at it. What are the moods? You know, what happened day before? How did the night go? Um, to kind of determine how they approach families. Yeah. And that's really when we say meet people where they are, mm-hmm. that's really what that is, is it's reading the room. Mm-hmm. And, you know, is is the mood in this room more somber? Does the energy feel much lower? Then we need to approach that room very, very differently than if we're walking into a room where everyone is excited and happy and celebrating a first birthday. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we're going to enter that room with a, a totally different energy. Mm-hmm. And that's um, in the profession of child life. That's one of the things that we talk about is that we we could walk from one room where we're supporting a family who's navigating something that is really painful and really challenging and really hard. And the next room, we walk to a room where a family is celebrating and they are excited and overjoyed. And we have to show up in both of those spaces for each of those families, Mm -hmm. regardless of where we are. Mm -hmm. So it's really about making sure that we are um, using our assessment and using the knowledge that we have about each patient and family so that we can read the room. (laughs) So on that note, you know, mental health is obviously a a big deal. And so it should be. So how do you protect the mental health of your staff? You know, walking in just that, just what you just said of one room is one and one room is another, you know, really encouraging them to not try to take it all home. And so how do you, with your staff, which is a large staff, I know not every children's hospital has as large a staff as you. And I know some children's hospitals have larger staffs mm-hmm. than you, but how do you really help with that with your staff? Cause we all know that it can wear on you. And then, and then that's when you see that maybe they can't keep doing the job that they were doing. Right. Um, and then maybe even walk away from the profession as a whole. So what are steps that you take to kind of protect the mental health of all of your staff? Wow, this is such a big question because it really is. Um, this is something that's so prevalent. We're just seeing it in a whole new way right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the things um, going into the pandemic has just been challenging mm-hmm. in regards to people's mental health and not experiencing burnout where they are leaving the profession or showing up to work and not being able to be as effective in serving others. And so we've talked a lot about kind of what works for us as far as self-care, probably to the point where people are tired of hearing about Mm self-care. But what we found is, you know, what worked for people prior to the pandemic, once we got into the pandemic, it just didn't work anymore. Mm -hmm. And so everyone's had to try to figure out different things that help them cope and um, different, different ways that we can navigate that inside of work and then outside of work. I think a lot of it, too, has just been acknowledging the reality of what where we are mm-hmm. and what we're in. And so just acknowledging that people are having a hard time coping. Mm-hmm. Um, and it whether it's our team or whether it's we're watching other 
members of the healthcare team and can see that they're having a hard time coping, you know, that might impact our own coping. So how do we navigate that? How do we support our peers, but also take care of ourselves? And so we've talked a lot about giving ourselves grace, um, but also just acknowledging the reality of, of where we are, mm-hmm. the space that we're in. And um, I've also encouraged a lot of counseling. Mm-hmm. And um, that's because we can't we can't carry it all on our own. Um, we had some team meetings where, you know, the saying used to be you have to check it at the door, meaning whatever was happening in your personal life, when you walk in the door to work, you check it there. And you just don't think about it all day. Mm -hmm. And then you do your patient care. And then on your way out, you check your patient care at the door. You pick up that personal stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, that's just not reality. Mm -hmm. That's not what happens. Um, They both carry over, Mm -hmm. especially because we are in a a caring profession. Mm -hmm. And so just acknowledging the fact that the two do mix yeah, coexist, right? and um, how do we navigate that? And, and we're very fortunate at Love Honor that we have someone on staff that is there to support families, um, but is also a therapist that is easily accessible for our associates. Mm-hmm. And so um, he has worked individually with some of my team members who have sought him out, but he's mm-hmm. also done some debriefings with my team and those have been really healthy mm-hmm. and well received just for people to acknowledge that everyone is in a hard space mm-hmm. um, and to be able to learn from each other about what they're doing to promote their own resiliency. Yeah. I, I feel like my husband and I talk a lot about it because of honestly, you know, what we, what we both see and that part of where you say, I want you, you know, I, I don't want to stop feeling what I feel for these families or, you know, I don't want it to, to seem like, but I also can't feel every single moment. You know, I have my own family and my own children, but I think my husband puts it really well when he's training, um, new residents when they come to Lebanon and he'll say, you know, for you, it may be routine what you're about to do. You know, we may see, lots and lots of, you know, um, let's say car accidents or, um, you know, ATV accident or whatever else. But for this family and this parent, it's the worst day of their life. Mm -hmm. They're living the worst Mm -hmm. day of their life where you're living kind of another day on the job. This is what you're trained to do. And for those that don't know, my husband is an orthopedic surgeon and works in pediatric, but, you know, I just think that's so good for David to be able to say to his residents of, for those families, it's the worst day of their life. And for y'all in child life and, you know, David's residence in orthopedics or even nursing care, it is, it's another day for y'all because you've, you've more than likely seen this before and you can't stay in the profession as long as you have or hope to be. If you deeply feel every single moment as the family does, but we don't want to lose that. We don't Mm -hmm. want to lose that empathy. We don't want to lose that caring because then it's like, we're just a rock, you know, there's not to it, but finding that balance I think is, is really hard. Um, and I, I'm thankful that Laboner did bring on the specialist who can help in that regard. I know that he has been a a huge blessing. Um, and I think I have a, 
you know, with our child life specialists, a lot of them are newer to the profession. And, you know, what you're talking about is this balance between feeling, um, but also kind of having your own boundaries Mm -hmm. as a professional. And that's not something that you graduate, start a new career with those developed. Mm -hmm. Um, you, You have to figure out what those are for you. And so I love that David mm-hmm. teaches that to his, you know, whoever is rotating with him, because it is something that has to be developed. And, and it's something that you learn along the way, um, probably because sometimes you have built that wall too high and you realize, oh, I'm not having the empathy I need to have. Mm-hmm. Or you've maybe allowed yourself to get a little closer than you should. Mm-hmm. And, and you are carrying those emotions in a way that becomes unhealthy. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like it's something that you learn over time, yeah. but you need people to, to be those safe people who can help you navigate those experiences and opportunities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I know my, in my own experience of mentoring, I think back, you know, 10, 12 years ago, if I had been having a hard time, I would have had a hard time stepping away. I would have had a hard time saying, I need to pause. I'm mentoring for a little bit, or I need to pause on, some of the, the types of um, things that I'm seeing, you know, I might need to go in a different realm for a little while. And then, as you said, years and maturity and knowing myself better, there have been times where I've had to say, I need just a break. I just do. I can, I can tell it's wearing on me, which in turn is wearing on me as a wife and a mother. Um, and, and so sometimes needing to say, I, I need to really think about that or, you know, but then also during COVID, not being allowed to mentor and, and do what I feel like God has called me to do, that is really war, war on me sure. in the way of saying, okay, this is what I think I'm supposed to do and I can't do it. How can I pivot and do it in a different way? Um, well, tell me, so how many, so you kind of explained a little bit um, about the different roles within the child life department. Um, so you have the certified child life specialist, which we kind of discussed a little bit more, activity coordinator. What does that mean? So our activity coordinators work to just help make sure that the fun things are happening around the hospital and they support what we call our programming, which is just the fun stuff. Um, but then they also do things behind the scenes to support the work of the team as a whole. And it might be just helping with some administrative tasks. Um, <laughs> we talked about play. Mm-hmm. And so with play comes toys. Mm-hmm. And all of the things that we do where we utilize toys, those come through donations. Mm-hmm. And so our activity coordinators really help with when those donations come in, getting those organized and processed and making sure that they're accessible so that we can use them effectively. And so they do a lot behind the scenes, but also they help to host our daily game show. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're very fortunate that we have a TV studio called Channel 8 and we're able to broadcast live into patient rooms. And especially during the pandemic, that has been a huge blessing that we have that. Mm -hmm. Um, Because before, most of our activities were activities that our patients would get out of their rooms and come to those activities and gather together. Mm -hmm. And so when the pandemic happened and everything kind of shut down, we had to pivot. Mm -hmm. And all of our fun activities, we were broadcasting through patient rooms. And so we had to get really innovative with how to make that happen. Mm -hmm. And our activity coordinators really were the ones that pulled a lot of that off. 
And so we have daily game shows where patients can play and interact with other patients and families in the hospital. They may get a chance to win a prize. Um, we do our creative arts that way now. So they'll get an art kit um, delivered to their room. Mm. And then the activity coordinators will put the craft together um, on Channel 8 where they can do it together live. So we they do a lot. Um, behind the scenes, but it really is just about promoting that environment where kids can play and do things that feel normal. Mm -hmm. And they do a lot to just support the efforts of our team as a whole. And then your other team members, explain a little more about music therapists. Sure. That's a newer, I feel like, and and just a beautiful thing as well. So Lavonner many, many, many years ago had a music therapist on staff. Um, But in 2018, we were able to bring one back on staff after probably close to 20 years. And so she works primarily in our NICU and she is board certified as a music therapist. And so her training is in using music to meet non-medical goals. Mm. Um, And so that looks very different in the NICU. A lot of it might be working with these infants who need to be exposed to more stimulation, but be done in a way that is safe and less stressful. Mm -hmm. And so she can use music to help accomplish that. Um, If she's working on a different unit, it might be that she's working with a patient on pain management. And so using music as the tool to help patients cope through their pain or figure out what might help lessen Mm -hmm. the pain that they're perceiving um, there's a lot of other things that she can do. Um, one of the the coolest things that she's done more recently has been heartbeat recordings. Mm. And she's able to do these for um, patients where we're wanting to promote their legacy, whether it's at end of life or maybe it's a unique situation. And so we're able to get a recording of that patient's heartbeat. And then she'll partner with the family to select a song that has a special meaning to them. And then that heartbeat becomes the rhythm of that song. Mm, Wow. Um, And she had one of the first ones that she did. She worked with a family and it was, it was an end of life situation. And the grandmother was a singer and wanted to sing Mm. the song. And so it was uh, like, I get chills, like talking Mm -hmm. about it right now, but the grandmother picked the song um, and they had the child's heartbeat and then the grandmother is singing and it's just this beautiful way of this child's story yeah, living, um, on. living on. Yeah, wow. And so she's able to partner with families to do that. And um, we are so excited to have her on our team. Mm-hmm. And because of the great work that she has done and how she's shown the benefits of having a music therapist on staff, um in 2022, our goal is to grow that, to bring on a second music therapist. I was just about to say, I feel like that's something that, you know, could be used in Mm -hmm. every unit, every floor. I know just even in my own life, um, one of my children laughs about the fact that I like to listen to sad music sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I've tried to explain to him, you know, music can move you. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when I know I'm sad, but I can't pinpoint exactly why I'm sad or what's making me sad or honestly, I just can't get it out and I need to get it out. I will turn on music that makes me sad and I will just have my moment and then I can move on. And, you know, he's 
trying to understand why I would want to do that. Why would I purposely do things to make me sad? But I think music can do amazing things for people. And I'm not even that musically talented. It's not that. It just what it does. But man, what a gift that would have been for me if mm-hmm. we could have had that for Forrest. I just can't even imagine. That's amazing. And then your other roles, you have child specialist, activity coordinator, music therapist, your special events, and then education. Is that right? Correct. Okay. So explain yeah. explain special events. Okay. Our special events coordinator helps to plan and coordinate the special events that happen for our patients and families. And, um, of, of course, this, like all things, changed during the pandemic. Um, but one of the things, um, just because we celebrated this somewhat recently, I'll use this as an example, but um, Halloween is for people who celebrate, that's a a huge holiday for children. Mm -hmm. Um, They get to dress up and have fun. And so you could imagine being in the hospital that can be, um, you know, for maybe a child who's been excited about their costume and been excited about their Halloween plans to then be in the hospital um, for us to be able to offer fun activities that can feel like they're getting to trick or treat and that they get to choose a costume Um, so those are things that our special events coordinator would plan Mm -hmm. and really it's, I mean, it's a lot of coordination and pulling together different pieces. Um, prior to the pandemic, it might've been planning for different groups to come in and perform or offer special things for our patients and families. And again, the goal is that we want these to be, we want to provide these opportunities where we're creating happy, positive memories so that when patients and families look back on their time at Bonner, that hopefully what they're saying is, oh my goodness, you know, we got to go and um, trick or treat and get this really cool costume mm-hmm. versus maybe the things that happened that were not as fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. that's a big part of what she does. And, um, you know, with the pandemic, we've had to get really creative and we've had to find ways of how we can create these moments but do it in a way that's safe. And we've learned some things along the way that I think we would continue to incorporate as we move forward. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, she's, she's just been really creative in how we can create these experiences and opportunities that can be fun, happy milestones for our families. Mm-hmm. And then your last is? We have a school teacher. Okay. So LaBonner is um, licensed as a non-public school. And we have a school teacher on staff, and she is there to help bridge the gap between children at the hospital and the school setting. And so it might be just communicating with the school. It might be helping to gather schoolwork. Um, it might be providing instruction or mentoring. Um, she is very busy. As we have one school teacher and a lot of kids who would benefit from that support. Um, but it is, you know, when... I first heard about LaVonner having a school teacher. I thought, man, if I were in the hospital, I'd be like, yes, no mm-hmm. school. Yeah. But if you think about removing stressors, missing school for a lot of kids is a stressor. Mm-hmm. And so to be able to help connect families with that resource is really beneficial. Mm-hmm. And then her background is in special education. And so she knows a lot of the laws that exist around the education system. And so if there are families who maybe have certain um, requirements or if there's things that they need from the school setting, she can help just make sure that they're aware of what their rights are and how the families can advocate for what their child might need the school to accommodate for. 
And so she's just a great resource to our children and families, our Man, patients and families. That's another one you definitely think one person for all those children. Yes. <laughs> and I do realize, obviously, there's times that the kids are so sick that they couldn't do schoolwork anyways, right. or they're, you know, you have a lot that are younger than school age. So that's, you know, takes a big, but how many probably are in it where they could. Um, so pivoting a little bit about caregivers, what is something, if you were speaking to a caregiver, what would you want them to know about child life and how your team could best support their family? Oh, that's a loaded question. And I feel like it looks different for each family based off where they are. Um, I think what I would want caregivers to know is that they're not alone, that we are there to walk with them through this journey, whatever it looks like. Um, over the past year, especially, I feel like there have been opportunities where I have learned the importance of just being present. And so in thinking about what we can offer caregivers, it really is just letting them know that we are there for them um, and that we are going to walk with them through that journey. And then it would look different for each family from there. But um, so if, you know, if we have a family listening and they, you know, have a child that goes into the hospital or they have a friend's child or a neighbor's child, would you encourage them to, you know, reach out to their nurse to ask, you know, do you have child life on staff? Is there a child life specialist that comes to this floor or to this unit? You know, because um, I know each hospital does differently. So you are able to speak, obviously, the best through Labonner Children's Hospital, but, um, you know, would you encourage them to, you know, reach out to find out if they have that on staff? If so, you know, can we meet with them? Can we see them? How would you kind of encourage them? Yeah. So, I mean, each hospital is different, but I would say that you could definitely ask. And um, it could be that you're asking the nurse or even if you're in the hospital, just pushing the nurse call button and ask for child life and they can let you know kind of what their availability is. Um, and if it's something where maybe you are coming for an outpatient visit or procedure, a lot of children's hospitals would have contact information for child life on their website. So you could look that up and reach out to the child life department to let them know that you're coming and see if someone would be able to help provide support based off when you're coming, if mm -hmm. it's something that you could plan ahead for. Yeah. Um, how do, you know, your child life department, obviously we're also in different hospitals as well, but kind of how do we collaborate? What's some things that, um, ways that we've been able to collaborate, you know, with your team? I know we, we depend on your team a lot as far as finding out what the needs are of the hospital, whether it's wish list or programs or, you know, building rooms or, or whatever else. But, um, you know, I know we couldn't do the job that we do without you and your team. Um, how do you find ways that we seem to collaborate? I, I feel like there's so many I might forget one. So feel free to fill in yeah. if I forget something. Um, and I would say that we can't do what we do without partners like you all. Mm -hmm. um, I know that one of the things that the team has really benefited from um, celebrating birthdays, mm -hmm. y'all have been so instrumental in helping 
get special birthday cakes mm-hmm. for these children who are celebrating, especially some milestone birthdays in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And um, we may not always know in advance if a child's going to celebrate their birthday in the hospital, but for some of those who've been with us longer term, mm-hmm. that's meant so much to their family and it's felt normal mm-hmm. to have this like incredibly beautiful cake. Yeah. Um, so that that is something that is so meaningful to so many families. Also being able to reach out to you guys if we recognize that there's families who need support beyond our scope. Mm-hmm. And so we do work with a lot of families who need counseling support. And for a family to not have to worry about if they can pay for it or not, um, but also you guys are able to help make sure that they're getting connected with high quality counseling. Mm-hmm. That means so much mm-hmm. um, to be able to partner in that aspect. And um, we're very fortunate that we have a sibling playroom. I know it's not fully functioning mm-hmm. right now, um, but that's something that we wouldn't have without the Forest Fence Fund. Mm-hmm. Um, so you guys support having a space that's dedicated just for siblings so that when it is up and running like normal um, and when siblings are able to be in the hospital, that the caregiver can bring the sibling to a safe space where they're able to be close to their parents um, and be close to the patient and play, but also allowing the parent or caregiver to be with the patient and focused on them. And for some of our families, we've talked about this before, but for some it just means so much to have the whole family in mm-hmm. the same building. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is something during the pandemic that we have felt mm-hmm. because we, it, it hasn't functioned that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has been a huge challenge is not being able to have families all together in the same space. Yeah. Yeah. And I've always, I mean, I've thought so much about just how difficult our journey was of being in a hospital for two months, but we could have the support that we needed. We could, you know, have family members come visit. We could eat with people who came in and to take all that away because mm-hmm. of the pandemic. And obviously we knew that that had to be done. Um, no judgment there, but just how much harder the last two years have been on families to, mm-hmm. you already feel alone when you're walking this journey, but then to truly honestly be alone because you can't have the support. Your other children can't come you know, often grandparents can't come, um, and see the child or be with you or give you a break. I think those things are such struggles. And so I'm so thankful for your team and all the other teams there who, you know, can be in the room with them, talking with them, loving on them, making them feel like they're not completely alone. Um, our team, you know, obviously loves being able to support, your team and the hospital, you know, it brings us a lot of joy too, to be able to do the cakes. And we can only do that because of the incredible bakers who've partnered with us in the surrounding area. Um, and they, you know, jump at it when we say, Hey, we've got a cake, this is what's going on. They, they jump at it and, um, they've just been awesome. And so we can do so many of the things that we can do because of community support. And so, um, you know, obviously the sibling room is very important to us and the different ways that we can help families, um, you know, and meet their needs, whatever mm-hmm. it may be. And as you said, whenever someone asks about the four spent fund, um, for the longest time, my husband would say, baby, you give way too long of a speech. Whenever they ask, <laughs> it's gotta be condensed. I was like, but it's so hard to say in essence, it's not a one-stop shop. 
Mm-hmm. You know, we don't, with this family, it may be this. And with this family, it may be this. And this family, it may be this. It makes it harder when you're, you know, the one in charge trying to meet those needs. But you also realize that each need is different. And so we need to really pay attention to what those needs are. And, you know, through the last, not being able to be in the hospital as much, speaking with families, it's been it's been neat for me to hear and see families talk about the things that made an impact. And sometimes it's not what you think. You would think, Oh, it's, you know, the family, of course, who got a large financial grant, that's going to be the biggest impact. And then you hear them say that roll of quarters you had in the care bag, it really meant the world or that lovey you left, you know, for the child to have, or, you know, that book that you gave me that I could read to my child. You think, Oh man, even the smallest of things are making an impact because it's allowing families not to feel alone. And right. I think, you know, that's the the purpose of what y'all are doing, what we're doing. I mean, I know y'all have a lot more roles and purposes in that too. Is there anything else that you think that our listeners should know in regards to child life, your team, um, anything else? I, I think the only thing I would add um, really just ties into what you just said. Um, that you talked about how you guys rely on your community partners. And for us, it's the same. Um, You know, we are a hospital serving our community, but I think one of the things that I love, especially being at a leadership level and getting to see these things, is how the community serves Le Bonheur. And our child life team could not do what we do without people who are supporting us or the nonprofits who support us. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, I, if it's okay, I might share a story of something where personally I reached out to you guys last year and y'all were so helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, because I'm in a leadership role, I don't often step into patient care. Um, if I do, it's usually because there's a unique request and, um, we got a call from one of the adult hospitals and they'd had a, a tragic situation happen and they, we're like, you know, we, we need some support. And someone said, how do we get in touch with child life? Um, I went and met with this family and the sibling that was there. And again, this is where the whole, like the importance of being present stood out to me because I, I showed up and I, I had nothing, um, at Le Bonner, I would have access to all of these resources. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you walk into an adult hospital, it just looked very different and being able to support that family, I, I walked away that night and even into that next day thinking, you know, did what I do even make a difference? Like I, I, I had nothing with me. Mm -hmm. It was really just me being there and listening and being supportive and, um, advocating for them. And two or three days later, that mom called and she was reaching out for help. And she called to say, Jessica, I need help. And you said that if I need help, that you could help connect me with someone who could help. And so in that moment, I thought, well, okay, like being present, mm-hmm. listening, advocating, it, it is what makes a difference. And that mom remembered that she could reach out for help. And I was able to partner with you um, for them to be able to get access to counseling and grief resources And I just wonder if all of that hadn't happened, 
what would the outcome have looked like for that family? Mm -hmm. Um, But because we were able to provide support in so many different ways, um, I don't, I don't know the outcome, Mm -hmm. um, but my hope is that they've had a a much better outcome and they felt much more supported in navigating that trauma Mm -hmm. than if they hadn't had access to those resources. Mm -hmm. And we're so glad, you know, definitely we, we want to be, you know, we always say it doesn't hurt to ask, Mm -hmm. you know, ask. And we have gotten asked honestly, some crazy things in, in our time. Um, but also some of those things we've been asked have ended up being some of the things that have made the largest impact. I mean, I will never forget getting asked if we could, have Elvis come to a bedside, to an end of life situation. Mm -hmm. And, and he wanted a legit Elvis dressed up and Elvis was able to sing and serenade and talk and bring. And that grandmother later said, she thinks it's the reason that he was able, he, he stayed alive for a couple more weeks. And, to us and we had to move very fast we got the call that morning can you have Elvis here he we think he's going to pass possibly today and so very quickly finding Elvis getting Elvis there all of those things but then and then even later finding out that actually that was my husband's patient and didn't Mm. know that either and my husband coming home and saying do you know the difference that Elvis made to this child and not really knowing um and then hearing the grandmother later. And so, you know, looking back and saying every little thing can make a difference. And it may not be the most expensive thing or it may not be the biggest thing or, but it, it you know, it makes a difference. And so I think y'all's job is so important of getting in there and knowing what do families need? How can I support them? And then knowing the resources that are out there. If that's not something that Labonner can provide because, Lawner can't provide everything. Every children's hospital can't provide everything. And that's, you know, when people come to us and say, should I start a nonprofit? We'll say, well, if there's already one doing what you do, don't start it. If there's one that's doing what you feel like needs to be done, then support them. Do whatever you can to support them to make them be able to do it. But if there's, if that need is literally not being met, then that's a different story. And for us, we felt like the non-medical is what really needed to be met better Mm -hmm. and we feel like the medical is being met beyond belief and we saw that in our own son but the non-medical and so that's really where we feel like we want to we want to plug in the gaps of whatever that is whether y'all don't have enough you know where you you don't have all the things you need on your wish list or you don't you know have the bakers to do the cakes or even time sometimes Mm -hmm. like your team probably could have reached out to all these different bakers but hopefully I'm saving your team time by y'all sending one little thing to me saying we need a cake and then I take care of it. Um, But it truly is a joy working with your team and seeing how well your team loves the families and supports the families. And um, I know our interactions with other hospitals throughout uh, the greater Tennessee area, I know that they also have really strong child life specialists and departments. And um, so thank you for being here with us. Thank you for spending time. Thank you for your heart and your passion and for serving families at Labonner Children's Hospital and in the community. We appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for having me here. I appreciate it. Thanks for all you do. (laughs) 
Thank you for listening to our latest episode. We hope that this podcast is a resource for you and a source of support. Whether you are facing illness in your own family or want to walk beside other families dealing with childhood illness, we want the stories, wisdom, and knowledge shared to give you hope. Episodes will be released bi-weekly, so be sure to subscribe today.